0: Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Thank you, Roshi. And I'd like to start with my gratitude to you and also Dokuro Osho and Hokuto Sensei for your guidance and leadership during these difficult times, and for you especially Uh, your support and your recent talks having to do with social justice and meeting the needs of our time through our practice. Um, And so that's what I want to talk about today is my own um, take on meeting our needs through our practice. So as you said, I started sitting in 1996. I was 55 years old at that time. So uh, I had a long history of habits and patterns behind me before I started. Um, I want to first start with a short um, description that I found on engaged Buddhism, because that's where I'm going to get to. Um, And I thought that it was new. I guess when I got started, I, I agreed with many people that somehow Buddhism was a passive uh, self, self-examining practice. Um, but in 1946, Rahula said that there's a, been an ethos ever since the time of the Buddha. He encouraged early monks to go out into the community, to travel in order to benefit the largest number of people. And he said his um, discourses to lay people often included practical instructions on social and economic matters. So this is a long strand within our practice and within our, within our tradition. Um, we, I guess we reactivate it every era, every year. So as I said, I was uh, age, I was 55 years old when I started here um, and I'd already been quite an activist um, throughout my life, uh, probably in a different way than, than maybe I have been lately. Um, I had uh, struggles with mental health when I was young and those struggles kind of um, waylaid me for a while. But even before that, I had become aware of social needs and had gotten involved in social um, activities, such as in 1959, starting uh, when I was about 18, um, we were talking about nuclear disarmament and hoping that our country would Lead the way. And so I was living in Iowa in Grinnell College, uh, Grinnell, Iowa, and my friends and I went to demonstrations in Des Moines and uh, saw the FBI on every corner taking our pictures. Um, That was interesting. I had never experienced that before. Um, My father was a little nervous about that because he worked at a university and got federal grants and he thought he might get retaliated against. But um, from there, then a couple of years later, I was, you know, as I said, I was waylaid by the mental health issues and I got married Um, and during that time, the, the Vietnam War started, and there was the opportunity to at least go out to demonstrations against the Vietnam War. Which, even in the Mid- Midwest, many many of us felt that this was an unjust uh, and wrong-headed war for our country to be engaged in. Um, so I'll just list a few of the things that I have gotten involved in over the years. Um, there was the Vietnam War, which uh, led right into, and it was coexistent with the civil rights period. So I wasn't able to um, do anything active in the country in regard to civil rights. But even though I lived in Nebraska and I had little babies, um, I was very aware of it and I so yearned to be able to put my body where I wanted to be Um, and the only thing I could think of to do was to get involved politically at my local precinct level so I did that um, even with small children and then later the women's rights movement came along and uh, there were a few of us in Omaha that were um, meeting together as a consciousness raising group and we started getting asked to do talks all over churches, all over Omaha, about this strange thing called women's liberation and wouldn't it um, encourage divorce and wouldn't it, uh, wasn't it uh, a problem with uh, Christian um, teachings and so on. So we got sort of a, a really good uh, introduction to trying to defend uh, and talk about causes that affected us. Um, And actually that led into, for me, uh, uh, prison work because I was involved with the Women's Commission on the Status of Women that um, set up a Prisons and Law Enforcement Committee and I was on that committee. Part of what we did was we went into the jails and met with women who were in jail. And that was a wonderful, era for me and I was able to bring that about later on in a different way. Um, during this time, too, my son was diagnosed with a pretty severe emotional disability, so I got involved sort of um, tangentially and then very, very actively in the disability rights movement and the root movement. of uh, of parents who were um, fighting the systems that existed and trying to make real change in the lives of their sons and daughters and i saw these parents go go from being very shy uh, inward-looking people to fierce advocates who were so articulate and so uh, effective in making changes so i saw a lot of um, that kind of, how how, uh, activism empowered the people that were involved in it. Um, And finally, I was involved for quite a few years with um, uh, GLBT activism. Um, And during those times, there were all kinds of ways uh, that I explored for working for change, Um, training, teaching, supporting other people's leadership in the disability rights movement it really wasn't my i i didn't have a disability i thought Uh, and uh but i could support and help people who um, did have disabilities to learn things like simple things like voting which maybe they would never had a chance to do or uh choosing their leaders and learning to give public Speak, speaking to do public speaking and so on. There was there was a huge amount of um, work that could be done in supporting other people. So that was part of it. Um, I got involved in being risking arrest. I never got arrested, but I supported people that were doing that, and um, both in uh, disability. Uh, movement activism Uh, we went to washington dc and you've never seen anything like uh a line of maybe half a mile long of people using wheelchairs rolling down the streets in washington dc toward the supreme court and then uh surrounding it and um blocking it and getting arrested or going to newt gingrich's apartment building and blocking all the entrances um, and um, just to make a point and being heard and getting heard that way. So those were all really exciting times and that whole movement activity was really exciting for me. Um, it's, there's a, it's a feeling like no other, uh, just that engagement. It's not about oneself, it's about what we want to do to make changes. So um, I think that along with that, I was I've, I realized after I became Buddhist that there's a kind of attachment to the idea that if I do these things or if we do these things together, real change will happen. And uh, I never was quite of the belief that this major revolution was going to uh, be happening. Like many of the people that I knew even in Nebraska uh, felt that, you know, this was the beginning of a revolution and the whole, everything would change. I didn't believe that, but I thought changes would, would happen maybe on a greater scale than they did. So during those years, I also saw lots of um, pushback and, Counteractivity and counter counter activism, and that's that's really disappointing. Um, so, fast forward to 1996, which isn't that fast now. It's 24 years ago. Um, I was uh, at a point where I really there was nothing wrong with my life, but I my something in me was telling me that I needed to explore some kind of a spiritual tradition. And I thought meditation would be safe, uh, simple, just learn to meditate. And so I tried it with a book and that didn't seem to, I wasn't very satisfied with my um, practice then. In fact, I couldn't, I didn't feel good about it at all because my mind just wandered all over the place. So a friend of mine, Jiki Shi, Celia Euler, lived near me, and she was involved here at the Zen Center, uh, and she encouraged me to get involved and meet Shinge Roshi, and Shinge Roshi encouraged me to learn to meditate at Hendricks Chapel. I worked at Syracuse University by that time, and um, from there come to the Zen Center, so I did. And I... um, kind of learned through the exposure to this practice that mm, I needed to question all my previous patterns. And um, so I started doing that. And I kind of stepped back from a lot of the activism. In my mind, it felt like stepping back because I wasn't doing as much. And recognizing how much of it sometimes was based on people's egos or sometimes based in uh anger and self-righteousness and all kinds of activities or 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 emotions that um lead nowhere and certainly are not able to uh, bring about the right kind of change so this practice really allowed me to do that But it it allowed me to step back and try to find a way and try to understand whether I even could find a way to be effective and to do this work without giving away to uh, anger and self-righteousness and so on. Um, And there was so much in this practice without ever hearing the word engaged Buddhism or anything. There was so much guidance that was available, guidance from Roshi, She encouraged involvement and and never stood in the way of it. Um, And then guidance from the teachings like the Four Noble Truths and the precepts. If you really look at the precepts, they tell you everything you need to uh, work on in order to engage effectively with other people and with justice activities. Um, So, I think before I came to this practice I learned mostly to rely on rational thinking and not to identify some of the negative patterns that had to do with emotional expression and certainly I didn't uh, I believed that people were intuitive but I didn't feel that I had any intuitive abilities um, and so I just relied on rational mind um, and this practice uh, helped me to get beyond that and to see that um, we could all develop qualities like intuitive knowing, uh, like compassion that's based on not in, in ego but in, in just connection with other people. Um, so. At the same time, I was really just, I think, for a good long time, just kind of exploring these things. And then in 2005, um, I was asked to teach meditation at the local uh, jail, pretrial detention facility, which is, we call it the Justice Center, and it's not really, there's not so much justice there, although people definitely try to be respectful and um, so on. And that was a wonderful opportunity. So I was able to go into the jail on a regular basis. And I've been doing that ever since until the COVID uh, crisis started. Um, And that really, for one thing, it was full circle going back to the prison work that I'd been doing in the seventies, but also um, that feeling of just being able to connect with all kinds of people, Um, who happened to be in jail, mostly because they couldn't afford to pay bail, sometimes because they had uh, committed some kind of really serious uh, crime. But very often it was, for one thing, we didn't necessarily know who had done what or who was in there for what reason. We were just connecting with each other as individuals, as people. And that um, became something very rich to me. Then later in 2008, I started uh, at Auburn Prison. Uh, they wanted a um, one of the men men there wanted a um, Buddhist sangha to develop, and they wrote to us and asked if we would help them. They had to have an outside Buddhist volunteer. So, I. Shinge Roshi, again, encouraged me to do that. And I've done that with quite a few different sangha members over the time and, and with a woman in Ithaca who is also a Buddhist. Um, and that has just been so, such a rich uh, experience as well. The problem is when you get involved in jails or any kind of institutions, really, you can't help but see injustice. And um, so what do you do? Um, so in, in uh, Syracuse, we have a wonderful organization that the Zen Center is a part of. It's called ACTS. Uh, ACTS. It means Alliance of Communities Transforming Syracuse. And they are a faith-based um, social justice organization. So that was a really wonderful avenue that um, the Zen Center kind of, you know, laid out for me, and Mokowan is also a member. Or she's our representative with, the, with ACTS, um, and they had a prison prison or a criminal justice committee. So I had a way to get involved in ACT ad, advocacy without being out in the forefront of it. Um, And that was just a wonderful experience as well and led to many other things. So what I wanted to do was um, talk about a couple of the things that I've gotten involved in just in the last couple of years since, um, well, since 2016. So when the election came, that was just a shock. Uh, And I realized how little I still knew. And I mean, why would I be shocked except for, because I didn't know um, the level and depth of uh, not just injustice, but systemic problems in our country that affected and the conditioning of all of us. So we're all conditioned to be unfair, to be racist, to be um, setting ourselves against each other. Uh, and that, um, along with my involvement in ACTS, uh, really inspired me to get involved more deeply. So some of the things that I've been doing uh, since I got involved with ACTS is uh, have to do with uh, getting involved with real Relationships with people that are um, sort of non-white. Uh, so I I was encouraged to um, I went to a talk at the First Unitarian Universalist Church by one of the Black Lives Leaders Black Lives Matters leaders, and the point that I she really made was that yes, white people can do things, but follow black leadership. And so of course in my disability work, that's I was used to that, but I hadn't really ever tried that as far as I could remember uh, with African American people or with, with other groups of people. Um, and so I sought out, uh, based on one of my friend's um, guidance, um, the National Action Network, which is uh, led by, and mostly, um, African American people. And, uh, also through acts, we started ret- re- um, attracting some African American people who were really interested in doing something active on the ground. So, um, those experiences showed me that there are so many ways in which our cultures are are sort of white um dominant uh ways of doing things aren't necessarily um they don't necessarily engage people that aren't white and we think often think that the way we do things the way we run a meeting the the kinds of um actions we want to take are for the benefit of other people, but without their involvement, it's, it's meaningless. And so I'd seen over and over people leaving, um, people who weren't white leaving organizations and not knowing why, until I joined organizations like NAN and um, saw that, There's so much more attention, for example, I'll just give one example, so much more attention on relationships between people and stopping the agenda. If a conflict comes up to allow the conflict to really be explored and um, to allow the relationship to be repaired rather than just Sweeping it under the rug or saying, well, we've got to go to the next agenda item. So these were small things that I started seeing and I thought, well, no wonder um, These other organizations keep losing people. We need to learn uh, different ways of doing things. So when I first went to Nan I was a little nervous and I asked the uh, secretary, I said, is it okay if I come back and she was extremely welcoming and said yes. And what I found there in, in other activities that I've been involved in this last four years is um, so much love, welcoming with love, uh, that is, it has been heartwarming and wonderful and also shows me that we have another way that we can do things we don't have to do things the way that we're conditioned into doing them so i'm so glad that um the zen study society is finally uh, is i shouldn't say finally because it's always been there but we're formalizing our uh, commitment to engage buddhism in many different ways so i wanted to kind of end up before I, I end with my last quote um, talking a little bit about that so uh, we have an engaged Buddhism um, committee uh, that's been just four people doing all this work to m- get things ready um, and you can find it on our website now the Zen Study Society website and there are several things that I just wanted to point out one is that there's a uh, going to be a Wednesday evening meetings um, led by Jifu Devyani Saad. And the first one starts Wednesday, August 5th at 7 p.m. Um, and everyone's invited to that. It's just a way to start having a discussion about some of these issues. Uh, secondly, a book discussion that uh, Daisho, uh, John Corso, is is leading starting Sunday, August 9th. And the discussion group is on the book, How to Be Anti-Racist. It's a wonderful book and a, a really great opportunity for all of us, because I think part of it is we do need to learn, we do need to talk about um, the effects of these things on ourselves and how we've bought into them and how we perpetuate them, pe- perpetuated them and how we can go beyond that. Before we just go out and you know offer ourselves as um, I know what to do and and I'm your savior, sort of mentality. Um, there's a racial solidarity sangha with Conchi, Lu- Lucia, Oliva Henley, Conchi, and Weekend Inago Scott Revelon. Um, they're co-leading that, and that will be happening Wednesday, August 12th at seven. PM And I think a lot of this is being put in the chat. And then there's a study group on the poor people's campaign, which has been adopted by the Zen Study Society. Um, and that um, happens on Wednesday, August 19th at seven. So, and that'll be led by Yuki Eric Michaels. So I think I wanted to point out that we've, we've got lots and lots of resources now on the Zen Study Society website. Um, including a whole list of um, activities one can get involved in to address the needs that are uh, popping up um, and revealing themselves because of the COVID-19 crisis um, and then many, many, many book resources and uh, uh, web resources that you can access to start learning or to, to further your learning about all of this. So um, I wanted to end because I've been doing a lot of reading myself. I was going to tell a, a joke. I might as well tell it. So my uh, my way all of my life has been when something comes up, I need to study it. I need to read all about it. So when I was pregnant, I read all kinds of books about being pregnant and having babies. And actually it was... Probably a good thing that I did that, but s- as soon as I had a baby, read it, read about it, you know, not just do it, but read about it, learn about it, and um, so for for many of us, that's our way of of entering into something and doing more. So I wanted to because I mentioned love, um, and often we don't use that word, or we see it as a sentimental word. And yet it's so critical. And what I found when I entered African-American led organizations was uh, a greater emphasis and openness about love. So Bell Hooks is an African-American now elder, feminist, womanist writer uh, who's been writing about race issues for so many years. She's also Buddhist. And, um, she says that she there was a recent article in Lion's Roar that she wrote and it really was about love. So she said, um, we felt that we had created, we had failed to create a culture of peace and justice through all of our activist activities It's still this big failure. So it led us back to an introspective search of our intimate relations. How could any of us truly believe that we could create world peace when we couldn't make peace in our own relationships with our families, friends, neighbors, and community? So, she says, visionary teachers like Martin Luther King, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Dalai Lama, Sharon Salzberg, were moved by spiritual necessity to speak more directly about the practice of love and then she went on to quote a uh, Thich Nhat Hanh poem, quote, when I lo- knew how to love, the doors of my heart opened wide before the wind. Reality was calling out for revolution. And she says, that spirit of revolution, that call to practice transformative love captured her ima- critical imagination and now that she said that, I realize it also captures mine. So thank you very much. This has been a Zen Studies Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org/donate. Thank you for listening.